welcome to Fishing Without Bait. Whether you've got here by accident or on purpose, you've landed in our universe. Fishing Without Bait is a program and a lifestyle about living life without definitive expectations, either posed on ourselves or by others. There's no admission fee, only the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. We're not looking to help people find themselves. We're helping people create their lives and explode into their lives through full impact mindfulness. I'm Jim Ellermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist. And as promised for for faithful followers of the show, we have an eclectic roster of guests. And we were introduced to this particular guest by our good friends, John and Rachel at the Jagoff podcast, one of the most popular podcasts in Pittsburgh. And today we'd like to welcome Mr. Vincenzo Borelli. Vinny, welcome aboard. Thank you. I appreciate it. Honored. And as most of our listeners know, what we like to do is we like to highlight recovery stories. People always say, oh, gee, if I had your type of life, I'd be I'd be good, too. But uh, most people think that they're uh, overnight successes. That's not at all. Uh, have you ever heard the term, I'm a 20-year overnight success? <laughs> Not at all. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, what was behind writing the story, writing your book? And could you give us the title of it, Vinny? Sure. The title is Personal Prosperity Blueprint. And the background really behind it was the pain that I went through as a child. And, you know, it was, it was so long ago. It was back in 86 when I lost my sister. And that was kind of the foundation, the roots of, really writing this book. And I started with just writing stuff on paper and I found that it kept getting more and more. Every time I'd go through something in my life, I'd write something else down. And finally, 30 years later, it came to someone seeing it and saying, you know, you have a good story here. Maybe you should share it and help others go through the grieving process. Like you said, the recovery process of pain and the trials and tribulations of growing up in inner city Pittsburgh. And so with that, there goes a a lot. And so that was really the foundation of it got me started. So you didn't grow up with the house and the white picket fence and the two dogs and uh, everything shiny and bright and rainbows and butterflies uh, floating around. Uh, you were the uh, you were the child of Italian immigrants. That's correct. Yes. My father came from Italy, from Calabria, and my mother was born here, but also first generation. And yeah, just grew up with actually English as a second language, having to learn how to speak proper English, going to the, you know, the short bus, the dummy van, the speech therapy or whatever they called it back then. But yeah, just a very inner city, got bullied as a kid. My father, you know, probably today would be in, in, in prison for the, you know, the discipline that we got. You know, we, we got true beatings with the belt that uh, a lot of people today don't have and, and nor should they. But yeah, it was really just, you know, not a really horrible life, but very rough growing up. And, and most of the kids in Bloomfield, in Garfield, Lawrenceville, in the inner city had the same. So you grew up in a Italian speaking household and there you were, a culturized, trying to get a culturized into American culture. And I would probably suspect that your father had little understanding, or I don't know how much interest he had in. He, yeah, he had none, actually. And that's why I got into martial arts. And I played sports as a kid. My, I don't think my father came to one game, not one football game, not one hockey game, not one baseball game. You know, we had to play everything back then, uh, especially growing up in a Catholic school system. You played everything, even if you stunk at that sport. So I went into martial arts, and yeah, it wasn't real supportive. My father was, you go to work. That's what you do. You don't play sports. Uh, you just go to work. 
So with your father, I would probably suspect that his work ethic and his main goal in his life was to support his family. Yes, it was. He was to support his family. And, you know, coming over from Italy, although he didn't come over on the boat, you know, he didn't land in Ellis Island. He came over with a briefcase and everything he thought maybe he would need coming to America was in that, I say briefcase, but it was a really small luggage. And so, yeah, it was that that's really all he, he, he thought of is working to make food, put food on our table and trying to keep my sister who was very ill growing up, keep her alive. Tell us about your mother, Vinny. Sure. Her mother was the same, really hardworking, old Italian, you know, first generation. So very tough, uh, again, bilingual as well. Uh, but she worked all her life, a very devout religious person who, uh, you know, of course, Catholic in, in our community, but very, you know, she was an angel. Everyone who meets my mother, Josephine says, you know, your mother was an angel. And still is. So <laughs> she was very, you know, she was rough and, and tough when she needed to be, but she was the soft one of the, of the family. You were talking about, you were talked about being timid when you were younger. Very timid. And my father, you know, if I come home with a black eye, I got another little beating from him. Mm. That, you know, not that he knew how to fight, but they didn't take anything. And, you know, the term Dago is day goers. They went day by day going for work. So they were put through you know, Helen back. I never knew that, Vinny. Yeah. I, I knew it was a slur. My my grandfather's from Italy. And uh, I my mother always thought that that was the worst thing a human being could say. Yeah, and for them, it's a very, very nasty word. My father doesn't understand a lot, but if you call him that, even at 88, he'll, hit his, he'll swing his cane at you <laughs> because they did go day by day going for work. So that is a, yeah, a real slap to them. So tell us about being bullied in a neighborhood like Bloomfield, for those of you who don't know, it was a blue collar neighborhood here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, just it was really I don't know what reason they had. Just felt that every day after school, I uh, would get chased, and I was always with my sister. And then after she passed away, instead of having some empathy, sympathy, compassion, whatever you want to call it, they would say, "Well, now your big sister's not here to stand up for you." And so that was a really a wow factor for me, and very shocking that. I thought, well, at least it'd have some sympathy, and it just didn't exist. So tell us about Gina. There's there's always moments in people's lives. There's moments that stand out uh, that cause a change in people's life. They're epiphany moments, metamorph- metamorphosis type of moments. So I want to hear all about Gina. Sure. So she was born with a congenital heart disease, so she had one valve and wasn't even supposed to live. You know, My mother prayed and prayed that she would survive, and she did, in fact, survive till she was seven, then had to get a valve, uh, an artificial valve put in. And, you know, back then, God, that was a major, major procedure. You know, today it's like outpatient, very, it's like an oil change. Uh, But so back then she did successfully come out of that surgery, the artificial valve replacement. But then as her heart grew, which was a miracle that she even lived that long, she lived till 17, 18 and needed to get another valve put in. And she went through the procedure, but just didn't make it out. The procedure itself was successful. Just everything else was shutting down. So at that point, they had to make a decision. There was nothing else they could do. So they had to pull the plug, but nothing, there was just nothing else they could do to keep her alive. And she passed in the hospital. And she passed, yep, in 1986. You talked extensively about her being a singer, about playing the piano, and that she was your best friend. She was. And, you know, it was different relationships. I'm sure everyone has a sibling that they're best friends with. Mine just was a little bit more... I guess intimate because I watched her go through hospital visits and her fingers, her lips were always purple because of circulation and hospital visits. But she started singing at a young age, made a CD. So we have a great memory of her that we could play, sang at weddings, funerals, you name it, at the church. 
so it was really hard to to let go of my best friend and then at the end in 86 you know we were just supposed to take her on a ambulance visit which i which didn't understand now i do of course in retrospect but we were tying her shoes and they said we have to bring your sister gina to the hospital my mother and father kind of hiding it but it was more serious than it was and that was the last time i saw her so i had a conversation and i never got closure never got to say goodbye which is part of the uh-huh. you know the recovery process that took me years and years to get over that and then we thought well she sang in a church didn't sin was such a good person well that didn't matter her time was called her ticket was pulled well quite often uh Vinny, as everyone knows out there i'm a behavioral health therapist and I help people figure out what's important, Vinny. There's very, very simple things that I do. I usually tell people that we're spiritual beings and we happen to be having a human experience. And it's this enmeshment in this human experience that doodles our life up and that life's absurd. And once they grasp all those three concepts, our work will be done. So I often ask people, I ask them, I say, who do you trust so much in this world that if they said fall, I'll catch you? and you'd fall without hesitation because that's how much you trust them. Or I asked them, I said, if everything were taken away from you, who'd be standing with you at the end who would never leave you? And my guess it would have been Gina. Absolutely, 100%. Wasn't wasn't it beautiful that you have memories? It is. And And I still, you know, now that all these years getting through the anger and the pain, my recovery was I know that I have an angel. And, you know, meeting or cheating death, I should say, multiple times, yeah. as you alluded to earlier, that... Uh, I know for a fact that I have someone looking on my shoulder. So, yeah, it, it is great to have those memories. Some people don't have that. Well, we go through life. We can go to Bloomfield. We can go to Lawrenceville. We can go to Cancun. We can go to the waterfront. We can go to New York City. But the only thing we carry throughout our lives, the only thing we bring back is memories, Vinny. That's right. We carry memories with us. And I imagine you have many wonderful memories of I Gina. I do. I do. Very blessed. And uh, so she's a significant significant person in your life. If we were doing timeline therapy, we'd be talking a lot about Gina. Uh, however, you began to doubt. You says you began to doubt. And how could this happen? Right. I did. And that's where the, you know, I became bitter. I just didn't understand. You know, back then, my parents were just trying to get over losing their first child. And I'm the only one left. And my mother was, you know, medicated to get through the pain. My father went to drinking more alcohol and hasn't stopped since. And he's like we talked about still alive at 88. So that, that kept him alive. But yeah, so I started really getting bitter and start taking these wrong paths and making wrong choices only because of the anger. Not that I was a bad person, but it brought out that pain, brought out the, the anger and angst. And I wanted to, you know, hurt others. <laughs> pain and anger. Sometimes, sometimes I talk about males being emotionally constipated. And one of the only uh, emotions that some males, when they're brought up in man school, uh, are allowed to feel is anger. Right. True. And I, you know, it, it just took a long time. But yeah, that really, uh, that put me over the edge. And then I started seeing that, you know, started finding myself spiritually and start thinking about my mother. And, you know, am I going to make the wrong choices and go to jail? Am I going to make the wrong choices and she's going to bury me? Or am I going to resort to, you know, substance abuse, which was always there? And, you know, I finally just, I had an awakening and, and woke up and said, there's more to life. Your mother must have had some uh, heartaches. Yes, she has. Yes, I put her through, put her through a lot, but then, uh, you know, I'm her number one now and she, she lives for, for me. Well, that's what we do in, in this world. What we do is we make a living amends. Okay. Uh, my mother was the last friend I had in the world and she wasn't very happy with me. But the only thing that I could do is make living amends. And I'm sure you're doing that 
your mother lovely wants to see you do well when you're happy she's happy absolutely yes for sure and that makes her so when we're dealing with the creator the divine why does god do this why is god having all these children starve god's not starving those children we are right it's human beings so i was with a at a rehab one time Vinny, you can feel free to steal any of this stuff i've stolen now i haven't had an original thought in years and uh I was sitting there, and there was this young lady, and she was so angry. I was getting a heat wave. I was getting a tan from her, their anger. And uh, I said, man, I said, I said, I haven't seen anybody this angry in a while. And she told me she this, uh, her, her, her husband was in, on trial uh, for murdering their two-year-old son. And she says, I'm so angry with God. And, you know, naturally, I was talking about spirituality and 12-step work. And uh, she says, I hate God, I did nothing. And I, I suggested to her, I said, you know what? I said, uh, perhaps uh, God doesn't take, God receives. And when we, when we look at things from a different perspective, Vinny, and I think that's the, what your whole book's talking about, we're looking at it from another perspective. Absolutely, I agree with you. 100%. So how did you, how did you decide to stop and say, hey, wait a minute, I have the lenses in my glasses reversed? Right, I just, you know, again, it took, it really took a lot to wake up and realize I'm going down the wrong path. I'm not making the right decisions. You know, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And if I would have stayed on the path I was on, you know, I probably would have again been in a bad place. And bad place meaning, you know, prison, uh, rehab center, something, uh, something not, uh, you know, productive and, and prosperous, as I say. So it's just a really a, a awakening. And I found out that, you know, God put me here for a reason. And what is that reason? Certainly not to do what I'm doing. Well. One of the quotes that you had in here, and I had it starred, Vinny, it says, uh, still in all the fights I was in, could never compete with the fight my sister had for her life. Correct. A lot of, you know, being in a full contact sport, everyone thought, well, that's such a big deal. Well, it's not. And I always refer to my sister's battle, watching her on different machines, uh, you know, just the heart and lung machine alone, you know, to, to a respirator. Uh, and then even today, I'm in the medical field seeing, I go back to people complaining about, and, and, and you know, the energy behind this is that you complain about not having uh, the time or whatever to, to pay your cell phone bill, but come with me to Children's Hospital and see the seven-year-old fighting for a life that doesn't have a chance or a choice. You do. And I know you agree with that. We have a choice, and some people don't make the right ones, but that battle, that fight, those kids and my sister had a hard, way harder fight than any, any full-contact fight that I ever had. Sounds like your sister had tremendous courage. Absolutely. She did. Yeah, she was a warrior. Man, she could be a hero. Yes, absolutely. So, Vinny, you, you start to talk about the, the why questions. You know, why do we do this? Why do we begin with? And you talk about uh, making decisions in the standards you set for yourself. Right. And the reason why I do that is because I think, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are that are much more experienced and, in, in, you know, avid public speakers, avid motivational, inspirational speakers that they start with why. And so when I start realizing that and start putting that and pushing that on people that I talk to, a lot of people don't know why they do what they do. And if you if you do, it really, or if you don't, and you ask yourself that question, then you do, it changes your perspective on, you know, what the hell are you doing with your day? Like your 24 hours. And I put that in the book and the four pillars I created in there. Like you got to have a why. And a lot of people don't. A lot of the friends that are going through stuff right now that I talked to even over the weekend have these issues and have these problems, but they don't know why they're in the situation and why they want to get out of it even. But they stay in it, you know, complacent. Well, acceptance is always the prelude to change. 
always. And I love the I love when you started to talk about people having regrets. I love people that that they didn't pursue in their lives the regrets. Uh, most people live their life in regret, Vinny. Yeah, and I'm learning that more and more. And that's one of the things that, you know, I found in my studies from some of the people that I train under and study under that they say that, you know, people at the end of their day, at, the, at their last breath on their deathbed, they don't say they regret doing certain things. They regret what they didn't do. Like they say, the richest place in the world is the grave because there people die with dreams and goals and desires that they never pursued. There's no prize for being the richest person in a cemetery. <laughs> That's right. I've often thought that my best, my best cemetery would be at the top of every tombstone. The epitaph would be "No regrets." That would be wonderful. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Absolutely. That's what we always ask people: Will you regret it if you don't do this? And I always ask people: What are you waiting for? Right. That's the thing. People think they're guaranteed tomorrow, and I always say that, and I'm, it's very redundant in my talks. You know, it's not a dress rehearsal. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So like, oh, well, I'll get to that. Well, how do you know that you're going to get there? I have a friend right now that has a date and an age when he's going to start living his life. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it is comical. And I'm like, what oh. the? Wait a second. What? What do you mean? Why? I'm not laughing you... at your friend. I'm <laughs> laughing at the concept. Yeah. The concept is absurd. And I'm like, what are you waiting for and why? You know, what if you don't make it to next week? Or what if you don't make it to even the next birthday before that particular number? And so, but it doesn't, people, if you're not receptive, I can't, you know, I can't push you. I can only give you what I think, in my opinion, and the, you know, the millionaires that I've studied under that aren't happy, then there's the ones that are. There's the people that have no money and that are more happy than the billionaire. So it's about just living and doing what makes you happy. But what is that that makes you happy? Well, there's money billionaires and there's money millionaires. There are no time millionaires. That's right. There are no time billionaires. And quite often, Vinny, on this show, we... We talk about time traveling a lot. People have frequent flyer miles to the past and the future three flyovers in the present. That's what we're always talking about. Where are you at? I'm right here. It's right now. What's right in front of you? I love it. I love that. And that, you know, the thing is too, like you said with time, I always hear that, well, I, I'll make, I got to make time for that. Well, that's absurd because you're not going to make time. You have to find that time again. Like we talked about, the 24 hours are the 24 hours. You have the same ones as I have that the beggar does, that the billionaire does. So you can't make time. You have to find time. It all involves choices, Vinny, and not being able afraid to fail. Right. That's right. And I just spoke about that earlier. It's on the, you know, my Make It Happen Monday that I spoke about. It's about the fear of change and the fear of failure. You know, people are afraid to fail, but yet if you don't fail, then you haven't done anything really to find out how you can get through that challenge. Well, uh, Thomas Edison was once asked by an investigative reporter, and they had investigative reporters even then, that tried to jab uh, Edison to get some type of a statement out of him, <laughs> to irritate him. And they asked, uh, he was doing the uh, light bulb, the filament thing, and uh, I guess they tried over a thousand of them. And the reporter said, tell me, Mr. Edison, how does it feel to have failed over a thousand times? And he says, I never failed. He said, I found a thousand things that didn't work. Yeah, I love that. That's true, 100%. I mean, just think about if, if people are afraid to make one or two choices for fear of failure. Well, usually on the other side of failure, I always say that's a developmental stepping stone. You know, I've had certain businesses that I failed at, but I learned from them. And I got buddies that haven't ever tried it. So I said, well, maybe you would have succeeded, but guess what? You already lost because you didn't try. 
There's a quote by George Adair that says, everything that you want is on the other side of fear. Fear is the most fundamental emotion we feel. I love that. I agree 100%. Absolutely. But what it takes is, what it takes to deal with fear is courage. Yeah. I've never met I've never met anybody that was fearless, Vinny. True. It's true, but you have to take that step, you know? And, and, and like you said, if you don't have the courage and the, per, the perseverance to want to get through it, like, you'll never know what you're, what, to, you'll never know if you can be phenomenal. You always stay at a mediocrity, you know, just a mediocre life. We'll be back next week with our continuing conversation with entrepreneur and motivational speaker, Vinnie Borelli, who can be contacted at www.vinnieborelli.com. And as always, as everyone expects, our free prescription, fruits, nuts, and vegetables, unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. My friends, do a kindness for yourself. Do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.